Welcome to the Life Size City Urbanism Podcast. I'm Michael Koval Anderson. Back in August 2021, I finally got to visit Helsinki. It was a trip planned for May 2020, but yeah. Do I even need to say why it was postponed anymore? I think you know. But off I went. I've been to Helsinki many times, but this was a bit of a different trip. Here on the podcast, I've published interviews with the Deputy Mayor, Annie Sinimaki, and Chief Design Officer, Hannah Harris. But the primary goal of the trip was to stay in a totally off-the-grid, tiny house designed and built by a couple of friends, Maya Maya Living. Link in the description. Last year, I was offered a plus one to bring along. Things were different last year, and this year I didn't have an obvious, romantically inclined partner at hand. So I thought about it. The pandemic barriers are falling, and there are people I miss and want to see. Heading to an idyllic location to stay in an architecturally splendid house in the Helsinki archipelago had a clear sense of life-sizedness. It would be an escape that would offer the possibility to take it easy. Take a deep breath slow down a bit. That made it obvious. I promptly invited a brother from another mother to hang out with me. Carl Honoré is a writer, broadcaster, and the person who launched the global slow movement upon an unsuspecting fast-paced world with his book In Praise of Slow. More recently, he published Boulder, an amazing book about aging positively and tackling the cult of youth and ageism. I'm sure you'll agree that bringing a friend who has said, in a world addicted to speed, slowness is a superpower, on a tiny house weekend wasn't a bad idea. Carl and I have incredibly similar backgrounds. We grew up three hours away from each other and are pretty much the same age. We both left to explore the world and both became experts in each our own area. I've published a conversation with Carl here on the podcast before about post-COVID cities and how slowness applies to urbanism. Every time we hang out, we talk long and hard about anything and everything. One topic morphs into another. This podcast episode, however, focuses on a topic I've had in my head for a very long time. Working on my urbanism TV series, The Life Size City, for years has inevitably led me to think about other applications of the idea of life-sized. Life-sized living, for example. And life-sized travel. Carl has also been thinking along the same lines. He has developed the framework for a slow travel manifesto. We spoke about this slow life-sized travel concept and we decided to slap a microphone on it. We were thinking that it would be a cool TV series for Carl and I to host, exploring a slower way to travel in a post-pandemic world. Eloquent, thoughtful Carl, and energetic, and maybe babbling Michael. But first we needed to figure out what we thought about the topic, and that is this conversation. There is absolutely no guarantee that we figure it out. It's a rhythmic back and forth stream of consciousness. So have a seat in our tiny house with a view of ancient granite rock, birds diving for fish outside the window, and the cool gray waters of the archipelago, and let's see what happens. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy uh, weekend in uh, Helsinki. 
you know, off the grid tiny house uh, that, that our friends have uh, designed and built. I mean, uh, not bad at all, huh? I'm thinking of it as the big weekend in the tiny house. There you go. Oh, there you go. It's like a children's book. <laughs> yeah. It's a children's <laughs> there book. There it right? is. Seriously. This is my next Oprah. But hey, man, you know, we've been talking um, yeah, about everything as we always do. But I mean, we also, we're talking about like travel, right? And uh, with the Life Size City, Urbanism TV series, you know, I've been thinking for years about like, what about Life Size Travel? And what is that? You with your, your background, with your the slow movement and all of your philosophies about living a slower life, you know, you've been saying, dude, like slow travel. Like we kind of have the same <laughs> idea about it. And and uh, we've been bouncing it back and forth. And I just thought we should uh, maybe try and figure out what the hell it is we're talking about. And also, you know, we've been discussing previously about uh, post-pandemic everything. Uh, and everybody's saying tourism is going to be different now, you know, and is there a place for slow travel, life-size travel or whatever name we end up <laughs> yeah. with? Let's just start like with a question then. What do you think about where tourism is going to go after you know, this pandemic? Tourism has changed. Over-tourism had disappeared to the, you know, the joy of the people of Barcelona and Amsterdam mm -hmm. and Venice. Um, but like, what, what do you think, uh, what do you think we're going? I mean, is slow travel, life-size travel? Is it just sitting out and staring out at the, the Finnish archipelago uh, <laughs> and, and drinking some, you know, akavit and barbecuing meat? Or I mean, what, 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 what is the travel going to be like now that we're uh, emerging from a pandemic? Starting with the easy question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I guess I've been grappling with what travel should be or could be for quite a while. The pandemic came along and I've, Actually, during the pandemic, one of the things that I got taken on a job was to come up with a slow travel manifesto, right? So I've spent a lot of time chewing these ideas over and like re-spooling back through my own travel experiences and reading a lot about what people think of travel in the past and how they traveled and how it's evolved and what it might look like post-pandemic. And that the short answer is, I, I don't know, right? I don't know what it's going to look like, but I have a feeling that this pandemic moment has been it feels like a reset like a kind of reboot moment and you probably feel that too not just for travel but just for everything right a, a time where collectively and i think individually we've just had a lot of time to go in and think and i think a lot of people are coming out with this idea now that um we should be focusing on what really matters right and i think that's going to be the the red line that goes through here through all the way we think about how we eat the way we make love, the way we educate our children, the way we work, the way we run our countries, the way we travel. I think that idea of decluttering, that kind of going Mary Kondo on things and just getting this the guff out of the way and streamlining in on what really counts. So I guess that's the starting point for how I think of what travel might be. What really matters? That's the bigger question, right? Um, and then there's the how, the nuts and bolts. Is it sitting in a tiny cabin looking out on water lapping against ancient granite rock, right? Or can you do slow travel in a bustling city like Barcelona? I think you can. I don't know if you, uh, I, no, I yeah. totally agree. I yeah. just think that if, if you know if we started talking about which is what we're doing, we're starting yeah. talking about it. Yeah. Oh, life size traveling, slow life size traveling. You know, um, I think most people would say, oh, that's going to be like tiny houses in the woods on the floor. Yeah. It kind of feels like that's what people's perception will be of it. But I totally agree. I think you, I think I do it. I think I've always done it in bustling big cities. I don't go and see all the touristy stuff. I never have. I like just to find a cafe, a local cafe, you know, uh, not a Starbucks, you know, like a local place, yeah. and uh, just sit there. And then maybe the next day, go back and sit there, read books, write, 
look at the city, see what the people are like in this city by just observing them. Some people find it boring to travel with me because I just want to sit down and drink coffee until it's time to drink wine, but I'm observing the city and then going to a good restaurant or whatever. I don't need to, you know, uh, to be busy, but... Big word you said there, local, the L word. I think mm -hmm. that's going to be a, that life, what do you call it, life-size travel, uh, slow travel. I think that local thing that, you know, we've gone through how many decades now of globalization and what globalization did was iron out the wrinkles, right? It took away the fine grain. It made everything the same. So you could, I mean, I think we've, especially both of us, we travel for work a lot and you can get that. If other people are organizing your travel for you, you can be waking up one morning in a hotel, think, is this Toronto? Is it Tokyo? Is it Tel Aviv? You know, everything looks the same. It feels like it's gone through the same design agency in Copenhagen or something, right? Yeah, it would yeah. be sort of beige and, um, and I think what- Like don't this Danish design. Oh, I, I'm it, well, say. <laughs> it's for a reason that yeah, David yeah. the Danes, it is Danish design that's gonna you know, conquer the world uh, in, in all sorts of, you know, for lots of good reasons. But uh, I think that idea of that unique, that feeling of being somewhere and plugging in, not ticking boxes, not going to all the old, you know, um, sites that you can just watch YouTube before you go anyway, right? I think it's gonna be serendipity, it's gonna be, I mean, here we're coming back to small again, the size, right? Mm. Tiny, we're in a tiny cabin, maybe, maybe, maybe slow travel, life-size travel is smaller somehow. We've, we've gone big. It was all big and bold before. But when you go big and bold, you, you end up with these massive brush strokes, but you lose the fine grain, mm. right? And maybe it's the fine grain that we're going to come back to. Maybe that's what slow travel or slow slash life-size travel. Yeah. I don't know. Does that, does that make sense to you? That kind of idea of local... Keep it small, keep it local. I think like last year in, in Denmark, there was that window in the summer where things kind of opened up certain places. Mm -hmm. I went to Greece for three weeks to this island that I've been going to for 20 years. And I love it. Fits well with the slow life-size travel mm -hmm. kind of thing we're evolving here. But most people I know uh, stayed at home. They went, yeah, we're not going to make the risk and buy the tickets and mm -hmm. maybe lose them if another wave hits or all that. You know, the, the uncertainty of the pandemic last year. So, so many of us, uh, well, of them, went to Denmark. You know, they, let's yeah. just go investigate our own country. Danes are, you know, the small countries are famous for like traveling far, you know, because we don't have a lot of action. You know, the French hang out a lot in France because there's so many different things to do and see. So Danes went, oh, let's just go to that island. We've got 700 of them. Let's go to that island. I've mm -hmm. never been there, you know. Yeah. And they really discovered like, you know, my social media and my Facebook, everybody's going, oh my God, it's just so cool. And the weather was great. So that helps. So that was kind of local in a sense, right? Um, also, people during lockdowns just wandering around their neighborhoods for the first time, discovering things they didn't know were right around the corner. You know, that kind of local exploration, I think, it totally is, is, is the key. This year, a lot of Danish friends said, we're going to go investigate more of Denmark. Local is important. I don't, I don't know if there's a certain trend towards it, but I feel like in the, because of the restrictions, you know, that we've had over the past time, we're sort of forced to look inwards <laughs> to yeah. get our own nation. Uh, maybe in the UK also, I mean, a lot of people were just like wandering around the UK and hiking or, you know, trekking or whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, I, this trip I'm doing here, but with you now is the first time I got on a plane in, you know, a year and a half, right? Yeah. So, and I, you know, I intensely miss the Mediterranean, the long holidays and the, you know, but yeah, so I even, I even my own life, you know, we've discovered a whole other corner of England I'd never really been to before. Up by you were hiking the Hadrian's Wall. Yeah, last week yeah. we were on Hadrian's Wall. Exactly, yeah. 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 And there's a whole, you know, rich story of the Roman, I mean, just extraordinary stories. And plus, you know, gorgeous landscapes. It's not as warm as it is in Southern Italy, right? And, and the wine isn't as good. But mm. uh, yeah, I think that kind of rediscovering, I mean, this is, I think sometimes when I think of travel, people... Well, they, they think of it as the simple building blocks, right? You get your passport, you pack your bag, you go to another place, right? But I think a lot of the best travel is 
internal, right? It's the journey that you're going on inside your head, the way you change when you go to a different place mm -hmm. or um, you know, that shifting of modes maybe as part of slow travel, life-size travel perhaps. I don't know, the idea of the, the internal journey that goes runs in parallel alongside the external journey, right? Yeah. So I think that, again, I think that's been a big part of the pandemic is people have done a lot more internal journeying, right? Mm -hmm. You know, rethinking, coming out of the pandemic. I mean, my social media feed is full of people coming out, well, out, inverted commas, right, of the pandemic and saying, you know what, I've had some time to think things over and the life I was leading before was not the life for me, right? Mm -hmm. So now they're either leaving relationships or changing jobs or moving, you know, out of the city to the you know, countryside or the countryside to the city and so on. So I, I think that idea of space, that peace that you get, you've described it perfectly there, sitting with a coffee, right? Mm -hmm. You're not moving physically, but you're kind of doing a kind of travel as you go. You, things are moving around you. You're picking things up. Without really having ever identified what my idea of life-size travel was, mm -hmm. uh, you have more thoughts about slow travel, but it is, it, it, I, I think we can agree it's, not, it's never in a hurry, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be exactly Carl's slow, you know, yeah. but I mean, it's it just like, you don't have to, okay, kids, get out. We have to see five museums and then we have to do, and then we have to yeah. do that. And, you know, like that's just, that's, that's just, definitely not it. Oh yeah. my God, no. Or like yeah. hurrying up and standing in line for the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona for four hours and, you know. Or going there for the, for the Instagram, right? I mean, yeah. I think a lot, that's in the last five years, I'd say that for so many people now that, that has become the experience itself is the taking of the photo. Right? Yeah, yeah. I love Instagram. I love it. Yeah. I love that, you know, that it brings these stories out and people create their experiences through this community. Mm. But still, you're looking at Sagrada Familia for the first time, but you're only looking at like, okay, which, you know, which filter should I have? You know, yeah. it's kind of like, is this you know, the best angle for? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Or if you go to well-known spots and there'll be a queue of people all waiting to take their Instagram shot, you know, in the same place. And you yeah. think that, I think that, I think we probably agree that doesn't qualify as life-size travel. Or, Santorini, or there's the sunset yeah. spot in Santorini. There's literally a line waiting and you got like, you know, eight seconds. You know, yeah, yeah. Get out <laughs> right. the sun setting, man. You're a little more far advanced uh, with your thinking. We're going to get to that. But we've also been talking about like a, a TV series, right? Mm. Like you and I do a TV series about slow travel. And this is also kind of like a conversation like, what's that going to be like? You know, do we just eat food, nice cafes and stare at cities. That's maybe not good TV. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, Sounds like fun though. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I, would, I, would, I want yeah. that series. Yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, no, I mean, what, okay, so the slow travel uh, manifesto, you've already, you actually have words about this, man. How do you describe uh, you know, what the manifesto would, uh, would entail? Yeah, well, it's got, I think, 12 points, right? So it's kind of fleshing out the whole idea of slow travel. So it will be, um, what we talked about the local, right? About learning. You mentioned learning, having your antennae, picking up new words, all that kind of new experience. Wow, another one of those bird drops. Um, sorry. This um, is what yeah, we've yeah, been right. doing all day yeah. today. Well, this is what we've been doing. We're staring at birds diving, diving. for fish. It's <laughs> like that's all there is to do here, which is really which awesome. Which is it's like a vast Technicolor, you know, movie screen here. Yeah, it's all we need in this moment. Um, the slow travel manifesto. There'll be things like you know serendipity, local savoring moments rather than counting them. I mean, there's a lot of sort of pretty straightforward, mm -hmm. you know, grabby language. But I think it boils down to, some people talk about mindful travel, I suppose it's gonna be a bit of that as well. There's yeah. a, there would have to be, I think, a, an environmental angle, treading lightly on the planet should be part of slow travel, I think, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, some kind of, you know, social justice angle, like you should be somehow leaving the place you visit better than you found it, not just environmentally, but maybe socially, economically somehow. 
um, I don't know, there's so many things that I'm still yeah, play, no. playing around with where they're just spinning around but it's plates cool. I mean, in the air. But um, I've done a couple of like segments on, on the Life Size City YouTube channel, um, mm -hmm. uh, Life Size Travel, you know, and but one of them was hiking into the uh, remote beach in the Lofoten Islands uh, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. And just the simple message like, you know, yeah, take everything with you, right? It was yeah. like just toilet paper. It's only like really kind of, you know, hikers and uh, people overnighting there. But still, there's just, you go around a the corner, there's just toilet paper. Like you, you take your toilet paper with you, however disgusting that is, but you still do it. You don't yeah, leave yeah, it yeah, there yeah, on yeah. a remote beach in, in the, yeah. the Arctic Ocean. My God, really minimizing your footprint. But um, yeah, I guess you could just go for like a slow bike ride. You could just, you know, you know, a bike tour through Italy or through the wine regions of France. That seems like a kind of a work with a uh, slow life-size travel, you know, you're just I taking it easy. Yeah. An old vintage bike, so you, you know, uh, if you're talking about the environmental footprint and an old uh, Peugeot or yeah. something. Yeah. Having long leisurely meals, reading an Italian novelist as you, well, not as you recycle, but in between, yeah. you know, right? Yeah. Um, we definitely want multitasking out of the equation when yeah. it comes to... Um, okay, but wait, the Italians yeah. literally have invented like a hundred years ago um, a little folder for your handlebars where you could fold your newspaper and it would clip into place and you could read the newspaper as you cycle. I have one at home in Copenhagen. It's <laughs> right, literally, yeah. yeah, it's a Porto Giornale, like uh, carry your newspaper uh -huh. or whatever. It's uh, no, so that's okay. Maybe we can read a bit on a quiet road where there's no traffic. Quiet yeah. road being the, yeah, I live in London. I wouldn't be doing a Porto Giornale. No, 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 no. If I did, I wouldn't be sitting with you now. In one <laughs> what do you think your best holiday has been in your life along the lines of what we're talking about now? Yeah. I think one of my, another word that comes to mind is memory. I think that's an important part, forging memories, you know, and that part of that is being present and there and doing one thing at a time and so on. And I think for me, the, if I think of my, one of my best holidays was when we did a, as a family, when my children were smaller, we did a, a houseboat holiday where we, a houseboat cycling holiday in, in, in the Netherlands. So a bunch of families all lived and slept on a boat. We ate and then every day we would cycle, you know, 40 kilometers to the next place. And the final day of that journey took us into Amsterdam and it was pouring around. The rain was coming in, you know, sideways and everybody on the boat said, we're just going to ride the boat in. It's just too grim, right, to get on a bike. Except for my son, who is eight years old. And he said, we're going to ride this. So I rode it with him. So yeah. of all the people, the two of us rode it through. And I, I remember at one point we were just coming up the bridge and it was up. And my son was, we were in a tandem, right? The rain whipping in. And my son suddenly lifted himself up and was pumping away to get us up the hill faster and faster. Mm. And I just thought, God, this is... And then we pulled into um, the place where the boat was waiting for us. And I remember my son jumping into my arms and saying, we did it, Daddy, we did it. Yeah. And I can, just, I can still smell his hair, mm -hmm. like his wet hair. And, and, and I think it's those are the... I think probably those simple moments that, I mean, not really even... That wasn't scripted, right? That just happened. And it happened because I was there with a slow mindset, right? I didn't have a packed schedule. I didn't have expectations of what I needed to do. I think that's maybe gets to what this life-size slow travel is maybe. It's kind of just being open to whatever happens in the moment, I mm. suppose, in a sense, and allowing yourself just to sink into whatever unfurls in front of you. And that happened because, yeah, because I wasn't looking at Instagram because, you know, so maybe, maybe that's another way to think about slow travel is that it's, well, it comes back to serendipity again as well.
I was I, I just thought of the question and asked you, but yeah, I'm, I don't know. Like I was yeah. on, a, I sailed from Fiji to New Zealand with a an older German uh, nudist couple. Uh -huh. They just need an extra hand on deck back in there. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a weird experience, but I mean, yeah. that, was, that was very fucking slow. You know, just, yeah. just sailing to New Zealand and there's nothing else. But I'm trying to think. Like I just got home from two weeks in Greece, mm. this island that I go to. There's a lot of people I know who go there from Denmark and a you know Danish kind of tribe. There was nobody there. I didn't know anybody. Um, I know the locals at the cafes and said hello. But then I'm starting to write this novel, right? So I was completely engulfed by writing this novel by hand in my moleskin journal. And mm -hmm. the first week, I was obsessed. I didn't speak to anybody except for the, the the waiters and the bartenders and whatnot. When you write, you sit like you write intensely all day long on a beach. You're weird. People stare. At yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're an outlier. <laughs> the point is here that after a week, I, I started to meet some people, and they're going, "What are you writing? For God's sakes!" They yeah. just couldn't hold it in anymore. What are you? What are you doing? And I started to meet people. And I was incredibly social, and I think I also needed to be incredibly social after seven days of really solitude in a crowd. Mm -hmm. Then I just went, "Okay, poof, I, wrote, I wrote every day, uh, but like I was much more social." I think that meeting people is kind of the long point I'm trying to reach here, <laughs> uh, where I'm, you, know, you travel alone, which is a whole different ballgame. Not many people can do it. They don't dare, you know. Uh, anybody, then you see other, you, know, you see a couple over there, whether they're 25 or 65, and like they just have no dinner conversation, you know. Mm. And man, meeting people and being forced to go out and meet strangers, for me, that is part of the, of yeah. the, the slow life-size travel, you know. Uh, engaging with the the local environment, the local people. Maybe they don't want to talk to you. There's your problem. Yeah. But you'll figure that out, right? I mean, you know, making yourself feel not like an alien, but as as uh, somebody who belongs in that place by being interested in the people around you or the other travelers as well, right? Yeah. Um, I just we have that silo when we travel, the blinders on, and I think that that needs to fall and disappear where we we engage with uh, with other humans and share that experience, you know, uh, wherever we happen to be. Yeah, that's um, the whole kind of fast life, a kind of fast existence, it seems to me, is or the virus of hurry dehumanizes us, right? Because human relationships obviously are slow, they take time and so on. And it's by slowing down, I think, that you you rehumanize, right? And that and I think that, yeah, I think that especially when you travel, that kind of richness comes through and you, you know, meet other people. You I think you can play the two off like you did in, in Greece, where you have your solitary time. Yeah. I love to travel. I mean, you like traveling alone too, yeah. right? We both like, yeah. And I, I, I'm a very social person. I'm gregarious. I love being around people, but I also love to be alone. And I sometimes feel this, some of the best travel I've done has been solitary travel, mm. actually. But as, but weirdly, as a kind of addendum to that, what you just said there, it's solitary travel where I'm solitary, but I've kind of made some kind of connection with someone. Right? Yeah, uh, your feelers and, out, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and something your antennae are on, and something just comes across your radar, and poof, suddenly you're having a conversation with a, a person you'll never forget, right? Yeah. I just remembered my ultimate answer to my question. Years ago, mid '90s, I walked from uh, just the north of Catalonia to a vineyard east of Paris, 900 kilometers in 35 days, with a tiny backpack, a little sleeping bag. I wanted to do this dogmatic, you know, insistent on walking you know, journey, self-discovery, you know, whatever. And then after I was done, I lived on a remote French farm. Uh, alone for five months. So like that was a lot of alone time. Yeah, that, uh, um, yeah. And so in a way, very life-size, very, very slow. But yeah, I didn't interact with a lot of people. I was just really this weird phase in my life. But uh -huh. like as a, you know, doing some 
stupid journey like that, like just walking through France in, on by roads, you know, and uh, sleeping rough every night and then, then living alone in a, you know, in an old stone house, life changing, I don't know, maybe life screwing up. So I don't know what, yeah. how, how that all affected me. But yeah, feelers out and engaging with the local environment and not being mm. afraid to. Is, it's um, interesting, that kind of local connection thing. That's one, one of the things that sort of disappoints me about Airbnb. I don't know, do, do you use Airbnb when you travel? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was for a long time, it was my first port of call. Where it doesn't the, mess with the local uh, housing yeah, issues. I yeah, I know now. I've got very, all, yeah, no, yeah. now I've, I've, I've got a lot of um, misgivings about an Airbnb. But one of them is that I think it's changed in spirit. It started off, it seemed to me anyway, the way I used it and encountered it on the web was you actually, it plugged you into local places. So we, instead of staying in hotels, which tend to be in sort of hotel areas of the city, right? Suddenly you're in a neighborhood, which you would never normally, that would have no hotel. You'd not stay there unless you had a friend. Yeah. You could be staying in someone's, spare room, you could get there, but you're plugged into a local network already. You know, there's a cafe around the corner. They tell you where their groceries are best bought. This is a really nice pizza. Uh, there's an old lady who comes down the stairs and, you know, might need help getting her newspaper, all that sort of stuff. That's, uh, but I feel like Airbnb has moved away from that. I don't know, but you've, you oh, know, you people, and now it's just corporate, right? It's, and you, and. The idea from the very beginning, I just thought was pure brilliance. Now mm -hmm. we know how it destroys neighborhoods, detrimental effect on the housing uh, in, in, in cities around the world and cities are banning it or limiting it. I mean, so yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, it's become a blight in many places. Blight. No question. No but question, the, yeah. the idea, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My neighborhood where I live in Copenhagen, there's, there's nothing to see for tourists. They don't go there. It's like, yeah. And then Airbnb, Airbnb showed up and I rented a room in my home for five years. I literally always had a, some foreigner living in mm. my kids are like, is there, we have guests this weekend? Yeah, there's a couple from France or something. Oh, okay. You know, it's like, yeah. this became a really cool experience. But yeah, all of a sudden you see tourists with their rolling luggage and the dad looking or the <laughs> looking at the phone. I think it's down this road. Never happened before, but that's good for my local economy. The local shops, you mm -hmm. know, uh, they benefit from, uh, from having that kind of tourism. If you do it right and you don't just rent your apartment where somebody else could be living there, you know, yeah, as we yeah. know, the whole Airbnb yeah. uh, dilemma, right? But no, that is, that has, I think that's been a super interesting and, and forcing you out into other parts of the city, right? But then there's also still even in Copenhagen, more so in other cities. I remember years ago, a friend of mine, there's this really cool bar in Prague. It's like, there's no tourists there. You know, it's like 10 million tourists a year mm -hmm. in Czech Republic. And so we went out there, me and my friend, and we walked in and, and everybody just turned and looked and they just went like, like a collective, oh, fuck my life. The tourists have found us. I mean, we're, like, yeah. we're not those kind of tourists. Like, yeah, then yeah. you're like, I'm not that kind of tourist, yeah. but then what is that? Yeah. And they were just said, this is like probably, it was like the last bar in Prague where the yeah. you know, foreigners had. Untouched by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. So that was like, we kind of tried to win hearts and minds and we succeeded. And we literally said, we won't tell anybody about this bar. The bartender's going, really? Yeah. And then we kind of, you know, had a few drinks and that was fine, but we, you know, they were happy to see our yeah. rear, rear ends leaving, I think. But even in Copenhagen, I have a couple of places, you know, I go, I sit at my, uh, my favorite local wine bar way too often. Everybody on Instagram knows when I'm there. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but I still have places where I go and eat, which nobody knows about. I don't tell anybody. I don't want that to be overrun, even with yeah. the cool kind of tourists who really want to experience the local experience. I think we all have our secret places in cities we don't spread. We do. I think, and, and I, as People who you know do public stuff. You're, people are always writing to me. I'm sure the same to you. They say I'm coming to Copenhagen. I'm coming to London. What do you suggest? Mm -hmm. And I have my go-to list of places to eat, places to walk, places to. But I have a little secret list that I don't, <laughs> I don't share for That's that reason. Right? Yeah, even in a big city like London, right? There's places you don't want them to be, well, discovered, stroke, destroyed, right? Yeah, yeah. Because one leads off so often to the other. I think. I, I mean, my local wine bar in Copenhagen, like with TripAdvisor and all the apps that started to come out, right, mm -hmm. um, through the years. I've been sitting there for many years, but you started to see these, you know, oh, lots of lots of foreign languages today. But it was always the people who dared 
you know, to go into the local neighborhoods and not just schlep down to the Little Mermaid and say, and then, you know, go to Tivoli or do whatever you do in whatever city yeah. you're in. Uh, it's you know, like that that kind of tourist, and I don't even know what that means, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's like, okay, they're cool. They're going. We're in a local environment. There are locals sitting here. This is their place. We, you know, we can't be too loud. We we're we're, just, we're yeah. sort of we're engaging, but we're also still observing mm -hmm. politely. I think. Um, I don't even want to give it a name, but there's probably a name we could give that kind of tourist, the one that you, you know, really benefits the local economy. Um, they tend you know. to call themselves travelers, I oh, think, oh, rather, is that, rather than right, tourists. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's Scandinavian Airlines' slogan at the moment, we are travelers. Oh, so they, 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 they <laughs> appropriated that yeah, word. Yeah, all right. You mentioned uh, TripAdvisor that made me think um, about how I think travel has changed for a lot of people now with the internet, right? So you be, before you maybe looked at a guidebook or you talked to a friend or two, and you discovered as you experienced the place. Now you can go online and read every review about every restaurant in that town. You can watch videos of the square where the fiesta is happening. You can experience the whole holiday mediated through a screen before you even get there. And yeah. I think a lot of people do, they fall into that trap. You go down that rabbit hole, you go online thinking, well, I'll just get a few things in the diary, right? For that week, next thing you know, you're actually having the trip yeah. from your laptop screen at home before you go. And then what does that do when you arrive, right? You've already, got someone else's filter and version of what's happened and you're yeah. not, and I think that, that maybe that's another way to think about life-size slow travel is you go as a blank slate, right? There's curiosity. You, you go without expectations or you certainly go without a tightly woven schedule, right? Where everything is all mapped out in advance and you already have the pictures in your head because you've seen other people's version of them before you even step into the into the frame. Mm. I'd never want to be the guy who's like, oh, things were different when we were young kids. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was better. I mean, I hate that narrative from older people, man. Um, I do, though, I mean, wonder how the hell did we backpack around the world oh, yeah. with a used, oh. lonely planet, like, and get from an airport, like, you know, me in Australia and, and Asia and, and, you know, former Soviet Union, you did a lot in South mm -hmm. America. I mean, I, you know, we were many, many places yeah. when we were young with our backpacks. Like, you just think of the logistics. Oh, know, How right. do we even survive? How do we get to that hostel? You know, nowadays, it's just like, you know, you follow a phone. You just, um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you're already booked on. I mean, and that's great. Like, that ease yeah. of travel is fine. But, I mean, I'm literally thinking, like, how did I get to from the airport I'm... in Hong Kong? Like, was there a bus back in 1990 or 19? Yeah. It's like, uh, it's kind of cool, though, having to follow maps, you know, back yeah. then. I think I'm just listening to you now. I think, how did we do it? We we talked. We asked people. True, yeah. We just turned to another human being and said, is there a bus into town or yeah. where's a good place? You know, whereas now, you know, the temptation and it's often super useful. I use the internet as well to find things when I'm abroad, but I think that becomes the default option, right? Mm -hmm. That becomes the everything. Then you lose out on all those little serendipitous connections, right? Where you meet someone. I met, I met incredible people with those backpacking trips. You know, I'm sure you, I mean, you didn't meet too many people on that long solitary walk. Yeah, but all the other ones around the world. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And some of the people I'm still in touch with, you know, you know, 10, 15 years yeah. later, some yeah. you know, 30 years later from people I met backpacking around Europe and, in my teens and stuff, you know, I, I guess now the temptation, it's just so easy to just fall into that screen thing. Or you just, um... I met a guy, he came from the States a few years ago into Copenhagen. One, I'm just thinking we got like, a, we got, we have the force is strong within this one. Um, <laughs> an older gentleman, but he, uh, he wanted to do some business connections with uh, where he's from, his city in the States and, uh, and Copenhagen. So he had a lot of meetings set up and I met, he wanted to meet me about stuff. Um, and we had a coffee at a cafe and then he said, great, really nice to meet you. You know, we'll email, blah, blah. He says, um, Hey, so this, I got to go to this address. Well, where is it? And I was like, like you have an iPhone on your, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, did you, you, you use your phone? And he said, okay. I look at the map in the morning 
and that I don't look at. And then I go up to people all day long and say, hey, I have to go to this address. I'm going, what? That's so awesome. He says, it's so awesome. I talk to strangers all day long. Yeah. And, and, and I, I had answered first. I said, okay, well, uh, that, that's a bit far, like a half an hour walk, but just walk down to the end of the street, turn left at the train station, get to the big road, and then ask somebody else there. And, he, and then he said, that's what everybody says. If I'm far, it's like, go there, but then ask somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then as I, as, I get, as I narrow it in, people are saying, okay, you see the red house, and then it gets closer. So I just thought that is a really great way to experiment with you know, slow life-size yeah. travel is forcing yourself to actually talk to people and find your way with it. And he had the address written down. That's, you know? that's genius. That, that, that's kind of also, also pushes you into um, like getting lost creatively, right? Yeah, yeah. Because so often I find, you probably find this too, that when, especially in certain countries, people, when you ask them for directions and they don't know where it is, they still feel they have to give you directions. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's like, and they're often sending you off 180 degrees in the wrong direction. But that's okay too, because you yeah. end up doing, well, unless you're, oh, you're going to miss a terrible, you know, urgent appointment. But mostly you're not, right? Yeah. If you if you've done yeah, the, uh, the planning, I don't know, right? but it sounds like it might be in that direction. You know, yeah. like they're trying and you walk off there, but I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, or yeah, 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 it is yeah. totally down there. Yeah. It is 412 meters and you know, whatever. This yeah. is this is reminding me that when I first started doing the whole thing on slow, um, a big part of that is rejigging your relationship with time, right? And I I stopped wearing a watch, right, mm -hmm. as an experiment for a week because I'd read a lot of stuff about how just seeing a clock face accelerates us, makes us anxious about the passage of time, and so on, right? In fact, there's some research showing that when women in their late 20s hear a clock ticking, they think about pregnancy. So these are kind of hardwired in through our culture. And yeah, yeah, I know, it's a little bit, little bit odd. Uh, the but, biological clock, yeah, literally. Well, there yeah. it is, there's the metaphor in action. Yeah. And I took the watch off for a week and I've never worn one since, right? Mm. So that's 20 years ago. And what I noticed, and this was before I was carrying a phone around with me all the time, I didn't know what time it was. Mm. And occasionally there'd be a clock, but mostly I had to ask people. And it just sort of, throughout my life, I just found myself constantly saying to people, not constantly, but just saying, you have the time. And number of people, defenses would come down and you suddenly have a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And I did my own city in London, right? And I've, I've made a couple of good friends that way, yeah. you know? Um, met someone on a bus who was still a really good friend. You know, I just asked her what time it was. Yeah. So I, I think that, yeah, that, that sort of nudging yourself into having some kind of social contact, that's going to be part of this travel thing we're talking about here, whatever we end up calling it. Yeah. It's going to be that kind of getting the social thing going. Um, I've never worn a watch. Like I just never wanted. To I noticed that. Like, yeah, yeah. I should have. Asked I don't you even. Before, I think yeah. I own like an old vintage one I bought in the Soviet yeah. Union on a street or whatever. But I mean, yeah. I got given a watch actually by a design company. I don't think they're Danish this time. Uh, I think it might be Swedish, called the Slow Watch. Okay. And it has just one hand. Okay. Twenty-four clicks and one hand. So it's taking. It doesn't go whole hog, and as in not having a watch at all. Mm. But it's removing your focus from the minutes, right? And thinking bigger, bigger picture, longer term yeah, horizons. Yeah. You just worry about the hours then, it's right? It's not three o'clock yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <rather. laughs> it's, or it's kind of, it's so small now in my eyesight. It's like, I can't tell if that's three, four, five. Yeah. What does it matter, right? But you still don't wear a watch. No, I haven't, no. Yeah, right. yeah I, I wore the slow watch for a bit. I have a carriage and I bust it out for a bit of fun. But um, no, I never wear a watch at all. I Now I can look at my phone. So I'm, but I still do ask people what time it is, you yeah. know? And especially in countries where I don't speak the language and I'll find out how to say, what's the time, right, yeah. in the local language sometimes. So I used to know how to say it in, you know, Mandarin, all kinds of, you know, places which yeah. I, no, I don't know anything of the uh, language. I'll try to, I would have in those days tried to learn how to say, um, you know, what's the time, you know? <laughs> Excuse me, what's the time? And then, you know, this oh, you're like, off to the races. Every time we talk, it's like, it'd be flashback. I'm going, <laughs> man, when I was backpacking, like my party trick was I could say I love you in 26 languages. Like, that was just a party <laughs> trick, you know? 
uh, trying to impress the girls or whatever, right? But yeah, I don't remember, I have no idea how many men I remember now. But yeah, that was funny, right? This Carl walking around going, do you have the time? Yes, Michael right. going, I love you. Oh. <laughs> Met us on the backpacking trail somewhere yeah. in the world. <laughs> I don't want to find us. <laughs> we've been really useful with the Tower of Babel, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what time it is? I love you. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Or I love you, do you know what time it is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, could go either way, right? Because I want to remember the moment yeah, that we exactly. met. Yeah. 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 Oh God, this is getting corny now. <laughs> if I said to you, "Hey," okay, I said to you, "Hey, do you want to come to Helsinki?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we are. No, but if you could choose, all of a sudden your weekend opens up in our busy work schedule. Yeah. You know, all right, you, you got four days, man, uh, and, and you have to do a slow, life-sized, travel-y kind of thing. Not to do any demonstrative things, yeah. but boom, what's your first choice? Do you go hiking? Do you go to New York? Do you, I mean, what do you, I don't know. Yeah, gosh. What's I your think, default? Uh, I think the word that's flashing on my screen right now is food, right? I feel like food is at the heart of, of, of a life well lived, right? Mm -hmm. of, of good travel. It's about food because food is nourishing and it's learning about local culture. It's, it's companionship, breaking bread together and all that stuff. So I think food would have to be in there, but the food could be as we've been doing here in our, Tiny cabin, you know, barbecuing potatoes or whatever and sauce or um, lighting or a fire in like a, on a windstorm. Yeah, exactly. You know? but we, person did it. we got we the fire going. Well we got it. a raging fire going. <laughs> uh, or it could be food, you know, in a you know, amazing little truck stop diner in Mississippi or something. Yeah. You know, so I, 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 I food, I suppose. Is that, right. is that it? What, what about you? What would be your your go to bars? Bars of or, plural. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Four days, yeah. man. Yeah. Oh, true. On. Yeah, yeah. I had an idea for like a like a travel guide. Like the, you know, I used to do a lot of travel writing, and you know, and, and you know, both the journalists as well. Mm -hmm. So I had this idea, like maybe more of an app thing. I just remember this. All these ideas you get, and then like you, you say, oh, never mind. You move on. Three restaurants, two bars, and a neighborhood, and then you live in London. And I, uh, this was the idea. I said, right, Carl, you're my friend in London. Uh, if, if you're coming for a three days, right? Yeah. What is what are the three places to eat? The two bars because there's two two nights because you got a three day trip. Yeah. And what neighborhood do you stay in, right? And then and then you would write it, and I would get friends from Calgary, from Vancouver, from Tokyo, and we everybody would come with their recommendations about because that's all you need if you're on a quick uh, yeah, quick weekend. No, you need you need three restaurants, you need two bars, and well, I need two bars, but you need a, yeah. you need a neighborhood, right? Yeah. Everybody asked me, like, where's a cool neighborhood to stay in Copenhagen? Because mm -hmm. all the hotels are clustered around the central yeah. city. So, like, yeah, are, yeah, that's kind of a fun idea, like, to think uh, as, as, as a guide, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then people could explore from there. But, yeah. That's a bit like, doesn't the New York Times do 36 hours in? Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah. They have a, so it's a bit like that. It's good. If you land in place X for 36 hours, here are the, you know, I, I don't know if it's, it's probably got, I think it is three restaurants, actually, now I think about it. Jesus. Okay. Um, so good some, ideas, good ideas <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, are universal, I guess, yeah. yeah. Huh. Okay, I don't know what I would, I mean, it, it kind of depends, like, if it's just me alone with this, my yeah. own question, I'd probably go to, like, a big city that I hadn't been to before. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I like going back to cities and then feeling familiar and walking into a bar and, oh, weren't you here last year? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had that really stupid wine tab. We remember you, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever, like, you just being Welcome remembered. Back. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, that's really important. When I go to a place and I find a cafe and then maybe a, like a wine bar or a restaurant later, I keep going back to them mm -hmm. because I want that feeling of recognition. I want to come in on the third day and they're going, hey, you're here again. Cool, no, well, welcome. Yeah, well, here, here, you have a glass of wine on like, You feel like a tiny little bit of a local, right? Instead of just bouncing around to all these different bars and restaurants mm -hmm. all day long uh, where you're just anonymous, uh, maybe you had a great experience. But yeah, I like to, I, I, oh, it is an absolute win for me in the slow life-size travel sweepstakes 
when I sit down again, they're going, Senor, or oh, Monsieur, or whatever, yeah, yeah. Uh, you again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, oh, you again. It depends yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on what happened previously. But no, yeah. I really, I'm just going, yes. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here now. Then I don't, maybe I can go back again, but then I can move on. I love that shit. I mean, um, and I just completely forgot, forgot what I was about to yeah, say yeah. when I got onto that track. But um, I'm thinking you could call that the cheers effect. Yeah. Like a place yeah. where everybody knows your name. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> No, um, so if, if I'm by myself, probably a city I've never been to. If I had that luxury of the four days, I could do whatever mm -hmm. I wanted and, and you were paying. Uh, I'll just do that. <laughs> uh, but then if I have like, you know, I'm going to bring somebody like, a, you know, if I have a girlfriend, a dating thing, you know, uh, maybe like a city that I know well. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, go to familiar places, you know, my friend in Paris at his wine bar, you know, that feeling local, but bringing somebody with me kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know, I like that. And then I invited you here in the middle of the Swedish, sorry, the Finnish <laughs> archipelago. Um, but then we're also in Helsinki, right? We've got a bit of an urban, uh, urban rural going on here. Yeah. yeah, and we did slow in both, life size in, in each. Although yeah. I guess we're both coming to this, uh, this is cabin, this is new for both of us, right? So we're in that, uh, that basket, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, you're, not, you're not my Virgil leading me through the yeah. tiny cabin. We both discovered the tiny no, cabin No, we, we just together. showed up at the yeah. boat with bikes and people brought us here. Uh, yeah. the, guys, the guys who made it, right? But yeah. And we don't know how to get home. Yeah, <laughs> We're hoping the guy's coming back with the boat at some point, yeah. bringing us like supplies. It's so cool. Yeah. And it's only 15 minutes by boat to yeah. Helsinki City Center, right? So, oh yeah, that'd be cool. I'm not an outdoorsy guy. I don't, you know, want to sit in a, you know, a cabin for two weeks. I'd prefer being in a big city or something, but this is awesome. Just like a... You get best, it's the old best of both here, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. You can see Helsinki in the distance there, but yeah. like, you're really not in Helsinki. You know, it's literally... You know, the archipelago. Deep, right? deep yeah. Finland. Yeah. So I don't know if we uh, got anywhere with this conversation. Um, some of our conversations end up in a good place. Some of them are like, nah. But I mean, the idea of a slow life-size travel, I think it, it, it totally has value, especially post-pandemic or just generally in among humans in the world. But, uh, yeah. yeah. It, it did before the pandemic, I think probably even more now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like to talk about micro-travel, right? Where like the guys who made this house, you know, which is off the grid. It just arrives. It takes a day to put it together and you're mm -hmm. living in this in this home. You know, you don't need to lay the foundation for a massive hotel in some resort area and completely destroy the environment. These things arrive. Blah, 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 blah. You got 50 of them and, you, and, uh, and then you can take them and move them move away them, later. Yeah, right? Yeah. So that's sort of acupuncture travel, micro travel. There's probably lots yeah. of phrases we can make up. <laughs> but that's that's actually a, maybe a, a, a development um, where we're going post-COVID, where we want that, as you're saying, the, the scaled down experience. Uh, not just slow, but scaled down, yeah. local, as you said. I think we just want less. less. I think there was just so much, everything was more before yeah. the pandemic. I think people were already coming around to the idea that more is not more, right? But but I think that's, that's certainly my feeling. I don't know, don't you feel that? I just feel like one less less stuff mm. less yeah. stress less just less somehow less and better yeah. yeah one thing i find interesting uh, with the digital world is i oh, I've, all my whole life i've always had a book with me when mm. i when i'm going to a cafe or a bar or you know if i sit at a cafe reading and then i meet a friend at a bar i just there's always a book on my table <laughs> uh but things are different now people read less unfortunately that book is an absolute icebreaker the weirdest people lean over going what are you reading conversations emerge a uh, 22-year-old dude from Germany in a cocktail bar in Barcelona saw this one book, 21 Lessons from the 21st Century, and uh, it's a busy cocktail bar. And he, is this your book? Are you reading that? I'm going, yeah. He says, oh, I'm reading it too. What do you think? Talk to the guy for an hour about the book. Like, like uh, somebody I would never talk to about, you know, a, yeah. a book like that. And anyway, that's a, a great pro tip, I think, when you're traveling. Even if you don't read, 
bring a book <laughs> and, uh, and but make sure you know what the As book's about. Yeah, 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 right, no. yeah. If you really have a, maybe a problem uh, engaging with other people, you bring a book and you just, yeah. uh, oh, I was in Beirut like early pre-pandemic and I was reading a book about like how uh, societies since the Babylonian age have punished sexuality, you know, uh, in all these different ways and how religion has played a massive part mm. in, you know, that's bad, you can't do that. Um, and the title of the book was Sex and Punishment. That was on a table. There are people walking down and see the book and they're just like passing. Um, and it says sex and punishment. Yeah. Some, some of these people like different ways. That's yeah, they're like looking at me and then like hurrying off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about, okay, yeah, never yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually, to, you know, yeah. designing the book uh, if you if you, you want to play the game, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe a book that you've read, but yeah, yeah, you know, you can you can take the right book for, you different know, context. dating yeah, or, yeah. or, you know, intelligent conversation or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll shut up now. <laughs> we'll shut up after that story. God, um, yeah, thanks for listening to Sex and Punishment. Oh my God. All right, let's make Fire and eat food. Fifty shades of food, I say. And, and do it in a life-sized, slow manner. You've been listening to The Life-Sized City, my podcast about urbanism and urban change. As ever, this episode was produced thanks to Red Wine and Coffee. The music was composed by Phil Creamer. Check out his website at www.hereonout.ca. I'm Michael Koval-Anderson. Thanks for listening.